Hey, it's Marcel. Imagine how awesome it would be if this year, 2023, your employees were more engaged and, and into their work. They made better decisions, collaborated without any of those people issues, and just performed at a high level to produce great work. You know, as leaders, we know that these attributes eliminate countless headaches and help scale the business. But quite shockingly, we often see the exact opposite behaviors take place in our teams. So we developed a hybrid leadership course to help emerging leaders bring out the best in their people. So together with your management team, we're going to help you identify the leadership skills that will result in high performance in yourself and in your employees. We're going to identify what it takes to inspire, motivate, and engage human beings to do their best work. We're going to teach you the leadership habits that will attract A players to come work for your organization. You're going to learn how to overcome the number one obstacle to clear communication, and you'll discover your personality strengths and blind spots and how to overcome those blind spots to help improve your work relationships. If you want to learn more about this unique leadership course, visit my website, marcelschwantes.com, and click on training. The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Hey, welcome to the show. We remain the only show on the planet that brings in experts to convince the world that practical love and care creates business impact and helps to scale your business. Glad you could join us. We circle the globe now in 168 countries. And if you're joining us for the first time and you like what you hear, we would love it if you could share this episode with a friend and, and maybe even leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast. So here's what's on my mind today. The Gallup organization last year sent out a report with more alarming findings. They reported that only 15% of employees in the U.S. are truly engaged in their work. Yet nearly 70% of employees say they would work harder if they felt more appreciated. And over 90% of employees surveyed Gallup found believed their leadership, quote, lacked communication skills to lead, end quote. So all these stats that I've been covering over the years keep pointing to the same things. Employees are expressing disappointment because of poor leadership. And poor leadership is really the source of, of many current organizational problems like, you know, disengagement, like turnover and absenteeism, you know, and that's not surprising because we've seen the Gallup data over the last three decades and the needle has not moved that much. But I know that you're all smart listeners. You know what's going on. Many of you are in high level HR roles. I mean, you have the data. So here's what we're going to do today. With the help of my distinguished guest, you know, some leaders are put into their roles and they have the right mindset, right? They, they may have the right belief system, perhaps the right values to, to actually lead effectively. And then other leaders, 
possess the right skills and they have the right competencies and the practices to do well. Yet what my guest proposes today is that to be a, a world-class leader in this post-pandemic age, you need both the right beliefs and the practices and habits. So he, along with his co-author, and I'll introduce them in a minute here, they have created and tested a new leadership platform based on a set of five guiding beliefs and also nine day-to-day -day practices that will transform an organization. And we're going to get into some of those. So today I am joined by Bob DeCook, co-author of a fantastic new book called Leading with Care in a Tough World. And he co-wrote that along with his partner, Phil Clampett. Bob and Phil are longtime collaborators and they, and they draw on many years of innovative practice and research to describe with real world experiences how leading with care transforms organizations. So who is Bob DeCook? Well, he has devoted his entire life and career to leadership roles. He has mentored hundreds of aspiring leaders Rising to senior executive roles in numerous organizations, Bob has developed and put into practice the, the many teachings in his books. He has over four decades of experience across major market sectors and has served on numerous boards of major corporations worldwide. And Bob is currently the founder of the leadership consulting firm Limitless. And now Bob DeCook joins us. Bob, welcome to the Love in Action podcast. Good morning, Marcel. Uh, very good to be with you this morning. Uh, appreciate your time and what a wonderful introduction. That was terrific. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. Appreciate that. So we always start by, you know, getting our listeners acquainted with our guests. And so are you ready for this initial question? I am. Go ahead. What's your story? Okay. Well, the story uh, is a story of two people, actually. Uh, you did a great job uh, with uh, kind of the summary of my resume. I'm the executive side of a partnership. Dr. Phil Clampett and I have been working together for nearly 30 years. This is our third book together. We've been exploring leadership ideas and leadership models with research and writing, uh, books and articles and practice. So I'm the practitioner in the corporate world. He's the academic professor at University of Wisconsin in Green Bay. And it's been a wonderful dynamic between the two of us. We, they're talking about the day-to-day -day and week-to-week -week and month-to-month -month issues and challenges that executives and managers and leaders face. And he's there saying, well, these are, this is what the theory says. How do those two things come together and sometimes that didn't seem like they did but we worked hard at bringing them together and this capstone book is one that has been percolating for a while and we think leading with care is this next leadership platform that people should pay attention to yeah that's great okay so i'm not going to ignore the subtitle of your book i actually have ignored it in my introduction but i i did it on purpose because i wanted to bring the subtitle as a point of discussion. So I'm a big time proponent of servant leadership. In fact, my course that I teach is based on a six point framework of servant leadership. So the subtitle of the book is Beyond Servant Leadership. So leading with care in a tough world 
beyond servant leadership. So unpack that for us. First, is servant leadership not enough? And secondly, what's the next step beyond servant leadership? So great question. And uh, the leader is also faced with getting results, getting outcomes. And there is a natural tension between serving people and doing everything needed to get them excited and engaged in what they're doing and the reality of the results and mission of the organization. And leaders are faced with playing that role of bringing those two things together while still keeping the people very engaged and excited about the mission. And so the beyond part is the motivation and the servancy needs to draw them into understanding, appreciating, and being bought into the mission and the goals of the organization. And together, those are the things that push you beyond servant leadership only. All right, let's take the, the title now, Leading with Care. You know, when I think about, if somebody says, yeah, we lead with care in our organization, to me, it's all relative. I mean, in one company, they may care for their employees by, I don't know, celebrating their birthdays and having cake and, and maybe handing out a $10 gift card to Starbucks if you're lucky, right? The company down the street may go a lot deeper in, in how they care. So definitions here, there are varying degrees of caring. What, what level of caring are you and Phil proposing? Yeah, we propose the side of caring that we call deep caring. And actually in the book, we juxtaposition, you know, a couple of different sets of characteristics that that are under shallow caring and deep caring. For example, if you care in a shallow way about people or outcomes, you would be thinking of short-term things like the kind of things that you talked about. I'm going to make sure we have uh, trinkets at the end of the week or ping pong tables uh, for everybody in their free time. Right, the perks. The perks. Those help. But the long-term caring, which is the deeper side, starts to think about what does the person want to do with their career? What are they interested in in developing themselves in their role so that they can contribute more and feel more self-actualized? So it's more development-focused rather than appeasement-focused. It's... uh, Rather than confronting problems in a reactional way where people come in and say, I have this issue, uh, I need help, uh, they would be, you'd be helping them transform the way they're thinking about the problem so that they can uh, help themselves uh, going forward in, in, in solving some of the dilemmas that they, that they face. The visible and subtle practices that you talked about, the visible practices, uh, which we can maybe develop a little more as we talk, are more shallow and that they are very visible to people. But the subtle ones are the things that leaders do to nudge the coaching and nudge the environment along so that employees really feel like their supervisors care about what they need in their lives. Uh, and um, are there to help them. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the book is is broken into uh, two parts. Part one is about the core beliefs, the the thought patterns that, that you and Phil say leaders need to develop. And in part two, 
builds on this foundation and, and educates readers on, on the practices of caring leadership. So let's break down that first part, Bob. What are the core beliefs of caring leaders that, you know, if you venture down that path and you commit to caring leadership, what, what do you need to learn and adapt from a belief and mindset standpoint? So one of them uh, has to do with embracing uncertainty. And we, we say embracing uncertainty accelerates growth. Well, what do we mean by that? Embracing uncertainty means that leaders really have to be humble about the things that they know and about, more, more importantly, the things that they don't know, because it's not the leader's role to have all the answers. It's the leader's role to bring people together who have a variety of different opinions and views about what the best answer can be to an, an issue and create a collaboration that causes the best of the best ideas and the and the 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 the, the bringing together of the various points of view to create new ideas to solve problems and what that requires in terms of embracing uncertainty is that the leader has to sit back and be comfortable allowing those various points of view some of them contradictory to what they might think themselves and they have to be comfortable with allowing that to happen. Sometimes they're dissenting points of view. And uh, the leader's role is to orchestrate that dynamic and not overrule the process of letting that surface. So it requires them to embrace the uncertainty of that moment to get to a better moment. Yeah, I like That's it. really, really important. Yeah. You also mentioned something that I, I think is very important as far as another mindset or a belief to adapt. Okay. You said lifelong learning fosters humility. What, 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 did you, what do you mean by that? Great question. You wouldn't sign up a brain surgeon to do work on your head if they weren't the best of the best, at least in the ones that you looked at. Why in the world would you put a leader who doesn't have an ongoing set of learning experiences and leadership in a role that creates environments for people to where they're supposed to perform? So we have to have a respect for continuous learning and lifelong learning, not only through on-the-job experience, but through other methods like coursework and seminars and, you know, working in different organizations and all of that. And that's a responsibility of the leader to be responsible for that learning themselves. Yeah. And uh, very something that we can do a much better job at. Yeah. Interesting side note for me, over two decades ago, I worked at a hospital and uh, and I was in charge of designing a leadership development program for hospital nurses and directors. And, uh, and naturally, I wanted the executive team to kind of embrace that by joining the directors and managers so that they understood as a way to support them, but also as a way to help grow their leadership skills as well. Because, you know, leadership is a journey. You're never just when you thought you reach the top of the mountain, you know, look up again. There's another hill to climb. So I asked the executive team of that hospital to come and join us and uh you know and 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 partake in the process learn some skills and show support they chose not to because they thought that they were above what i was offering and uh so they kind of separated themselves and created the silo where no we've been there and done that 
Well, the turnover rate of that hospital was around 40 to 50%. And a lot of it pointed back to a couple of executives in the C-suite that, that sort of held a lot of control and power over the people operations. And yet they chose not to take part in the leadership development because they were sort of above, above it. So, Well, and that's a perfect example because the people feel that kind of lack of commitment to them immediately. They're smart. They see it. And they want people to be in there with them, helping them. That's the servancy part. And signals like, I won't participate in the training program, are huge signals to the employees about what they're really concerned about. That very important stuff. Yeah. Another mindset or belief that I wanted to kind of touch on. Okay, so the word kindness as a as a very soft and fuzzy connotation, kindness. And I mean, I have, you know, stacks of books and literature talking about the impact of organizational and personal kindness and in, in the workplace and and how that lends to higher employee engagement, all kinds of other metrics. So, and you talk about that uh, and you you state it like this, acting with kindness is not being soft. Expand on, expand on that for us. Kindness is, we believe, is extremely important. And we all experience it every day as consumers, as customers, as employees. And um, for example, you can walk into any retail organization where an employee is coming up to you and you can tell within the first maybe less than 30 seconds whether that employee is interested in you as a customer, whether they have a personality that is warm enough to engage your emotion in the fact that you're in the store wanting to do something. You can pick up a telephone call and the person on the other end, you don't even may not know them, but their voice espouses some kind of magnetism that collects your interest And you can tell immediately whether that person is having a good day or a bad day. And so every interaction that a supervisor, a manager, a leader has with their work team, even if the day is going really tough for that leader, every time they interact with one of their direct reports or others, they're they're exposing their sentiments for the day. And if their sentiments are negative, they will be picked up on that and people will pick up on that immediately and say, what's going on here? I don't feel like I'm close to this person. So that's the kind of kindness that's important. And it has an empathetic factor. It has a listening factor. It has a uh, understanding factor that people are looking for. And that's necessary in order to engage people But it is not an indication that you're soft because you still are dealing with the tough issues that the employee might have, that the organization might have, and you need to make decisions that sometimes are unpopular, but you can do it in a way where the discussion and the communication between you and the employee is such that there's a better understanding of why we're going forward with something and... um, Rather than just proclaiming that this is a decision, there's there's communication about the why and about how 
it'll affect them and what we can do to manage through the change. So it's not soft. It's being kind. You know, and that's easy for some people to make the shift, but for others, it's a hard road to take when when you start going down the caring and kindness path. Because you said, first of all, before the practices take shape, you have to have the belief system. How do you actually integrate that? How do you ingrain that into your your mind as a belief, something as soft as kindness? I mean, what does it take for somebody to finally get over that hump where they see kindness as an actual benefit to their employees and to, you know, to to the world in general? Well, I think it takes I think it takes self-reflection and honesty with yourself about how you are coming across. Do you really understand how you're coming across to your employees? Are you open enough to be self-reflective enough to know and be honest that it's not coming across? Well, I had an example yesterday. I was um, traveling right now, and I was in a hotel restaurant, and the, the hostess, the guy who was handling the customers coming in, saw my book on the table. And he came up and he said, oh, this is a great book. He said, I really like this. He said, people ought to have more of this caring attitude. And he said, why is it that he offered this? He said, why is it when people become supervisors or managers or leaders, all of a sudden they have to get so damn serious? Why do they not allow themselves to be just the person they were before uh, he said, one time I had my boss come and say to me, you've got this nice external personality. You're a supervisor now. You've got to be tougher. You've got to come across as tougher. Well, what kind of advice is that uh, for the way that that person is going to come across if he starts to adopt it? That same kind of coaching needs to happen that you need to come across as kinder. You need to come across as more empathetic to situations because the opposite advice is just not productive. Yeah. It's almost like a false, you're buying into a false belief system that once you get promoted into management, you have to check your humanity at the door. So now I (laughs) exactly right. So I think coaching is a big part of it on the part of the leader supervisor. I think self-reflection is a big part of it is to really understand how you're coming across And I think the other factor is, I can say this for myself because I get caught up in it as well. We get so busy. We're running 150 miles an hour all the time. And we think, think we don't have time to be more empathetic or listening. We need to just bark the orders and move on. Yeah. That's not being kind. And we can change that behavior if you understand that you're doing it. Yeah. Well, that takes, like you said, self-reflection, a lot of a building your self-awareness to understand your current situation, your current reality. I like that. All right, let's transition to, so now that you have, hopefully you folks understand, belief has to be set in place. So now you can cultivate the, the right beliefs into day-to-day practice. So let's get into some of the practices of a caring leader. So you and Phil validated in your research and examining the best practices, nine practices that that we need to master 
uh, in order to achieve, you know, re remarkable outcomes. I know for the sake of time, we can't go over all nine, but is there one or two that you say, okay, uh, uh, this one is uh, kind of floats to the top? So the practice is called caring leaders primarily coach, not command. So that's a matter of style. And uh, certainly the command style may be necessary sometimes, but in a caring environment, not often. Coaching is a process by which a leader with a direct report or with a team sits down and listens to concerns, listens to issues. The leader themselves have issues, and they have a, a robust and deep conversation about the various points of view that surround not only the work program for an employee, but development issues for an employee, and they work out a path to how to make improvements. And the leader makes suggestions and he listens to the barriers that the employee has, and they try to come up with action plans that, that address the barriers and help facilitate an improvement in, in performance. Coaching is a really important thing. And it's not something that gets done once a month or once a year at a performance review. The subtle coaching gets done all the time, not every minute, not looking over their shoulders, but helping them through problems and suggesting things. And so the environment and the relationship is, is, is such that the, the coaching is accepted as open input and, uh, and, and given and taken that way. Yeah, it's very, very important. Yeah, I love the fact that coaching is is a it's the the pull approach, not the push approach, right? You're trying to you believe that the person that you're coaching is smart enough to have the answers inside of them. You're there to kind of draw it out of them, and I think one of the one of the great techniques of coaching is asking those powerful questions, right? That kind of helps people to draw people into more awareness of their situation because they may have the answer. But as leader coaches, manager coaches, we don't want to just feed the answers to them because we want to increase their learning, right? And that could be a, a, something as, as simple as a two-minute touch point where an employee in the middle of the day is trying to troubleshoot a, a problem and they come to you, the manager, and say, hey, boss, what would you do in this situation? And the boss goes right back to the employee and says, well, what are some good options for you? Right. Open-ended questions like that. What are your ideas? If you had this to do yourself uh, without anybody else around, what, what are the ideas that you would come up with to solve this? Here's a couple ideas I have. Let's try to blend those together and see if we can come up with a better total idea. Right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Open-ended so, questions. Right, right. Okay, I want to this is a tough one and I don't know where it falls into the into the practice of caring leadership, but I'm going to I'm going to throw this out at you. Okay, we're in such a politically divisive time uh, unlike any previous generations that I can recall. You know, you can't even sit in the same room with someone of a conservative Republican bent if you're a liberal democrat and vice versa. And now employees are are taking a more activist role in politics. They're being more outspoken with social issues. And, and some of them are e even demanding that their leaders be more engaged and visible in their civic duties. 
So if you're a caring leader, Bob, you're kind of caught in this quandary. I mean, how should you respond to political activism by employees? It's a challenging question, but it's the reality, as you say. I think that organizations and leaders have to listen to those points of view. That's also, that's very important. To have that be the major priority within the organization when their business is to be providing service to other customers for other reasons, detracts from the organizational mission. So they need to be sensitive to and listen to those concerns, but also not be overwhelmed by the fact that employees are getting so involved that they can't do their jobs. Right. So it's a tough balance. Yeah. But uh, leaders have to listen, but they have to accomplish the organizational mission as well. Yeah, it's a tough and delicate balance because you, you don't want to please everyone and forsake the business at hand. And yet you still want to be able to care enough about the employee's point of view because it's these days it's important that people's personal lives and work lives or personal beliefs are merging now with their work beliefs. Uh, you know, they want to find meaning, they want to find purpose. And sometimes there is that merging of the two and it, it creates a little bit of friction, but it also it, it pushes leaders to try to understand and hear what's that good balance. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, that's a good balance. They need a good balance. And uh, it also, both sides of that uh, discussion, both the activist side and the organizational side, have to be more, more respective of the opposing point of view. The activist side has to respect the fact that not all of their uh, opinions on an issue or their strong opinions on an issue may be shared exactly by the leaders of the organization or other and, employees or, yeah. or the, yeah, or, or the other way around. So there has to be more of a respect that we agree to disagree. And I think that gets us hung up a lot, both in activist situations and in political situations, mm. because it has become such a, my side or your side and nowhere in the middle. That's, you know, that's another one of the practices in the second part of the book, which deals with collaboration and true collaboration, not full collaboration, that brings ideas together as close as they can be to get consensus. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff, Bob. Well, hey, if you guys want to get the whole nine key practices of the book, we don't have time to cover it. And I'm not doing rightful justice <laughs> by not covering all nine, but get the book and get the full shebang that Bob and Phil offer in, in their research, these nine key principles. Bob, what's your ultimate hope for people reading this book? Yeah, our, our ultimate hope is to contribute significantly to the lifelong learning of leaders. We talked about lifelong learning before. We're passionate about that. We have been for all of our careers. And we've written this book in a way that we think it's a practical guide. It's written in practical language with practical assessments that it can help people adopt the better beliefs and adopt better practices to help them be better leaders and test their ability to do that along the way. It's a workbook uh, as much as anything. So we're, we're, we're all about developing better leaders. Yes, we are. And that's the whole reason why we have this podcast. 
Bob, as we wind down here, I pose you a traditional question on the show. We ask this of every guest. This is the the leadership love question. So of all the ideas that that you discussed, maybe that are in the book that have not been discussed, in your own words, how do we lead with practical and actionable love day in and day out? Well, that's... um... There's a part in the introduction of the book that lays out a few bullet points that I think put it into very simple uh, language. Caring leaders commit their time to develop people. Caring leaders give the sense that they have their people's back and they recognize and appreciate their contributions and they encourage them to do their best work and give them enough running around room to do their best work. So those are things that I go back to all the time and ask myself, am I trying to do that every day? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely see love in all of those. Thanks for sharing that, Bob. So we bring home the discussion with two questions as we do with every guest. Personally, what's really tugging at your heart right now that you'd like us to know? The absence of some of these a kind of approaches to leadership that we see around us every day in our politics and our organizations, people not listening to one another, people not appreciating opposing points of view and trying to come to better solutions by understanding opposing points of view. That tugs at me every day. That's a good one. I share that as as well, Bob. And finally, you close us out your way with a key takeaway or something to keep us inspired. Yeah, well, we think caring leadership, leading with care is the next platform. We think uh, servant leadership was the first important platform. We're trying to develop the next 2.0 platform to leadership. Everything Greenleaf talked about is important. We think there's more. We think it's leading with care. Well, you have certainly expanded my mind in this whole idea of leading with love and care. And uh, I'm going to be tuning into you and Phil and what what you guys are up to in your work as well. Thank you so much for joining us today. If people want to connect with you, can you point them to a couple of places, a website, maybe a LinkedIn? Sure. Well, we're on LinkedIn uh, under both of our names, Bob DeCook and Phil Clampett. But uh, we, we direct you to the website for the book. It's called leadingwithcare.net. Fantastic. Bob, thanks again. It's been a rich conversation. I wish you all the best. Thank you very much, Marcel. Ben, great to be with you. You can keep the conversation going on social media with hashtag Love in Action Podcast. And also look for my show notes on my website, marcelschwantes.com. I'm going to include all of Bob's resources there, all of his contact info, some, some articles for you to read. And hey, if you want to watch this on YouTube, You can find that on my show notes as well to this episode. Finally, if you're interested in sponsoring an episode of the Love in Action podcast to help us spread this message globally, I'd love to chat with you. You can reach me on my website or find me on LinkedIn. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Love in Action podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review. Until next time, don't forget, the future of leadership is love in action. Believe it, practice it, and watch your business grow.